This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hey there. We are gearing up for a brand new podcast coming very soon that will focus on the creator economy. So as we work on what I'm sure will become one of your new favorite podcasts, please enjoy this throwback episode of Creative Conversation. I'm Casey Finey, and this is Fast Company's Creative Conversation, a podcast where we tap into some of the most creative minds in film, TV, music, and beyond. We're tackling the mental roadblocks these creatives have encountered on projects or moments where they felt stuck in their careers. By diving into the problem, finding out how they overcame it, and the lessons they learned from it, you'll hopefully have a clear blueprint on how to manage your own creativity. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to be here. So I want to start with your role on Showtime's uh, Black Monday because it is obviously a fictionalized take on uh, the cause of the 1987 uh, stock market crash. And your character isn't what we usually see from you. Yeah, it actually has been really fun to do a character that I think has some depth and some stakes to it. like No disrespect to your previous characters. No, still. not at all. But like, I, I do come from the world of comedy, and you know, I think there's a world in which those characters just are the archetypes that they are. You know? and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Like Doing the League for seven years was one of the most fun, freeing experiences. But by virtue of that show, Andre in season one to Andre in season seven, like, there's no real growth or change. Right. It can't be because it's a, it's a sitcom. And what I liked about this show, uh, it was created by this guy, David Cass, co-created by him, and he wrote Happy Endings, mm-hmm. uh, that TV show. And there's so many jokes, and there's so many elements of comedy. And his co-writer, also a comedian, but comes from more of a feature background, you know, really was able to kind of blend in this drama. So it does have these hard jokes that you like on shows like 30 Rock or Kimmy Schmidt, but then it has, like, the elements that I really like of, like, a Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad, where you're like, yeah. oh, we got to see what's going to happen next week. And I feel like that's a fun merge, and I'm giving you a long answer, I'm going to say one more thing. No. <laughs> um, I feel like, and the thing that bums me out all the time is you watch these half-hour shows on cable, mm-hmm. and they're called dramedies, and they're neither comedic nor are they dramatic. They're just this middle-of-the-road <laughs> show, and it drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> right. So I'm very excited to actually get to do, like, a character where you can, you know, act a little bit more, I guess. No, that's the thing, because I feel like it's it's... It is a comedy, but it's got some heft to it. It's got some. It's got some heart to it, especially with your character, because yeah. you know your character is like struggling, struggling with his sexual identity in this you know hyper masculine space, and it's just there's a lot happening with it. So, would you say it was a stretch for you stepping into this role, or did you just feel like no, I can do this? Like what? No, you know, you? I think you know as an actor, you always want to, and I hate talking about it like in this way. Like I'm not this much of a pompous jerk, everybody. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, so, you know, you when are. I approach the text, <laughs> I let the words inform. No, you know, I think you always want to show people what you can do and what you're capable of. And mm-hmm. I think you know, we come in a business where whatever you're good at, people go, "That's it," and you'll only do those things. Yep. So when I left, you know, the league. Um, well, actually, I would even go back. Like when I first started the league, I was like, I need to do something different. So I did NTSF SDSUV, where so I was playing great. like a Jack Bauer kind of character from 24. And then, and then coming over here, it's like always trying to do something different, so mm-hmm. you don't pigeonhole yourself. I think it's easy because people like you in one thing, and they want to put you in the other thing as that thing. And you know, for me, it was like, oh, I, I know I can do this. I think I can do this. And you know, David and Jordan, who created the show, really like kept on kind of serving me up stuff and. You know, I think that 
at the root of it, and again, not to sound pretentious, you know, we can all connect with the ideas that are here. I mean, there's a guy who is, you know, trying to be something he's not, which I think mm-hmm. we've all can relate to that. Like in, you know, in a workplace, like I guess gotta like, yeah, yeah you, you're putting on a show a little, especially bit. when there's like an archetype of what you're supposed to be. Like, exactly. Like, like you're dealing with these Wall Street bros, essentially, and like right, you can't be. And I would argue too, like you know, we say about the show, like it's the show place. Like, place in 1987 like look how far we haven't come like you know right. i know that's you know. the thing i was like okay only outfits have changed slightly yeah it's like the phones have gotten smaller <laughs> like, but the issues a, are the same that's about it yeah i know so it's like it is funny like how you have to kind of hide it and one of the things my character wears like a, a wig yeah. in the show and that was like I'm conscious because when we first started talking about the character and talking about like how he is kind of wrestling with his sexuality he's like in the closet and mm-hmm. um you know it's like oh i was like i wanted that wig to kind of represent the idea that He's already hiding, like the, on right. the on the base level. It's like he's not even comfortable being bald in this world, and you know, I thought that was like you know these like little things, and I you know for me, it's exciting because like, oh, I get to do this, I get to make these yeah. choices, and <laughs> you know, um, and I look at like people like Bob Odenkirk, who I think is so mm-hmm. great on Better Call Saul, and you know, his yeah. background is you know the one of the best sketch shows ever. Absolutely, and you know. Obviously, you're not just an actor because you've created shows in the past, you've written and directed in the past as well, and knowing that you know both sides of the fence, so to speak, what makes you want to sign up for someone else's vision? You know, it's a it's a good question. I think part of it is a vacation, right? Because <laughs> Fair. when you don't have to worry about like what the budget is, yeah. are people happy? <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about taking notes. Like you could be like the good time guy, right. you know. And there is something really freeing about just going back to your trailer or hanging out on set and not having anything hang over your yeah. head. Because once you are producing and you're writing, it's like everything. You have to be nice to everybody. <laughs> not, not, and not, not that I'm not, but it's like, but like it's it's a full-time job. Yeah. You have to be open to everybody. You have to do, you know, everyone's coming to you. And yeah. um and it's exhausting. And and that's and and that's fine. But I do think it's nice to be able to go in and out. Like in the in the interim of doing this, I was doing some other things. Um but I love just kind of like only focusing on one thing because the other thing about it too is I've I've gotten older I'm like I'm trying to minimize or stay more focused on the things that I'm doing like when I was Mm. doing other shows when I go to my trailer I'd be working on other shows and now I make a commitment to myself that when I'm acting in something when I'm off set like when I'm like on set but like in my trailer Mm -hmm. or not working I'm just gonna stay focused in that world because I think like the human brain can't take that many distractions you know it's like i want to stay like focused and then when i'm somewhere else i'll be focused there it's like i think when you're balancing too many creative things at once uh you they'll falter a little bit and Mm. so i'd like to keep multiple things going but be kind of more solely focused when i'm in a spot if that makes sense. right no that does and so was there anything that was there anything that happened that led you to that i think honestly i was bringing i was being stressed by going back to my trailer, writing a script, and then coming back and being, oh, I was in the middle of something I wanted to finish. I was like, no, no, I'm here to do this thing, right. you know, or I'm here because, I like, the cuts will wait, the things will, you know, stay where they are. Somebody said, and it's a quote that I always look back at, it's like, I think when you create things and you are in the business of, you know, being your own business, like, you have to be okay with going to bed knowing that not everything is done. And if you can come to terms with that, 
you kind of feel free. It's like, okay, well, there'll be tomorrow and I'll find the time to do it. And, you know, maybe I'll wait five days before that email gets answered. You know, I answer the ones that are important, but it's like, it's kind of just managing your time, but also allowing your time to be when you are in one place, really focused right, and not, right. you know, trying to answer emails or trying to go over here. Cause I think that that just breeds, uh, I don't know. I think it just breeds, even if you're, you can do it at 85%, then you're like missing 15% that you could be a little bit better. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And, you know, speaking of just creating, you've had, you collaborate and create with a lot of the same people in a way. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's like a really good rotating cast of characters yeah. in your life. And so, you know, what, what are you looking for in a creative partner? Like that you don't have already, like what's your missing piece? <sighs> That's a good question. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, no, it's a good question. I think, you know, I came up from the Upright Citizens Brigade yeah. uh, Theater, which is a comedy theater that was kind of founded by Amy Poehler and Matt Walsh and Matt uh, Ian Roberts and Matt Besser. And they kind of instilled in us early on that you have to be your own person. Like, you got to not only be in the show, you got to write the show, you have to direct the show, and you have to advertise the show. Wow. And that kind of stuff has really informed who I am as uh, as a you know, creative person because you have to think of every side of it. I remember Matt Besser would tell me, like, you have to name the titles of your sketch shows something that's controversial or that was attention-getting because no Mm -hmm. one's coming to see your show. You're nobody. Like, you know, like, so you need that flyer to make you laugh. You need that, you need to connect on some level. So I grew up and was working in my very formative years with all these people who came up the same way. So Mm -hmm. That group of, like, Rob Riggle, Rob Hubel, Aziz Ansari, uh, Jason Wolner, like, they're all the people, you know, that have been working. We all come from that same background. We can yeah. all jump in and uh, and we, we have a shorthand. That's good. But, you know, as far as partners are concerned, I'm always looking for people to fill in my gaps. I'm not a person that I be- – I don't believe that I am the best at anything. I, like, <laughs> I want people to make me better. I don't yeah. like to be – like trapped in a room by myself. I want to be able to bounce ideas off of it. I I feel better when I can say like, oh, does this work? Or like somebody tell me, no, that doesn't work. I just feel like it just like, I think to be open to critique over criticism, if that makes sense. Like, you know, I think criticism is such an easy thing to do, you know, but critique can be like, oh, I think we can maybe do this better, you know, come at it from a different way. So what I'm looking for in a partner often is someone who believes it can be done. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, one of the reasons I was able to do so much early on, uh, and, you know, whether it was, like, this Real Housewives show we did for Hulu or NTSF, oh, yeah. is, a, is a kind Hot of working... Wives. Hot Wives. so good. <laughs> and, and even working well, like, Human Giant was, like, we can do this. Like, we, yeah. it's impossible. Like, Human Giant, we shot, like, 95 sketches for our second season and probably aired 60. Oh, and But, you know, most people would say, no, no, no. You are doing a sketch show. You do about four or five sketches per episode, so right. we'll do that. That's what we're going to budget for. It's like, no, no, no. We need to shoot a lot to make sure that we have the best to go into this thing. And 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 so you want people that are all striving to do the best work, challenging, you know, fi- being clever about stuff. I remember that, you know, for uh, NTSF, we had a whole virtual reality. We had, no, we actually had a whole... Fast and Furious episode, we're going to get these go-karts, and then we oh, can't afford go-karts. I'm like, all right, we'll get pedicabs. Then we couldn't uh, couldn't find enough pedicabs. And they're like, all right, we'll just make it virtual reality. <laughs> and, um, and every part of that process was people going, okay, 
here's what's doable. We can't do that. What's next? And creatively kind of morphing and morphing and morphing. And then what we finally came to was this cool virtual reality episode that starred Brie Larson, amazing, oh, and fantastic. Jake Johnson <laughs> and Alan Tudyk. And it was a musical episode. And the musical <laughs> came out of the fact that we need to do certain things. And the virtual reality, we couldn't afford, but we made it like 8-bit. And we like, so it looked crazy and it was fun. And I was like, oh, like creativity comes out of like people who can work under constraints, I think. Yeah. And so I guess the kind of finding people who don't throw up their hands, people who are willing to get their hands dirty and and then just whoever wants to you know i feel like like-minded people just kind of gravitate towards each other so i don't know i don't think i have any preconceived notions i'm sort of like i like you you're good let's try to do something yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing i feel like you know it's I, I i always love that idea of creative constraints and i think it's it can be something that's hard to hold on to the bigger you get. Yes. Because obviously, you know, as your profile rises, so do budgets that you get. And that's not always a good thing. No. Well, I think there's twofold to that, right? Because it's like, I won't name names, but there is a, <laughs> there is a, a director that I know. And the director directed this movie. Mm-hmm. And it was a good movie. It wasn't a great movie. It was a good movie. Okay. And everyone's like, this, if you take this section of the movie mm-hmm. out... It's a great movie. Oh, wow. And that director was like, no, I believe in that section of the movie. That section of the movie is important to me. And everyone told him. <laughs> and and he didn't. And the movie came out. And the reviews were, it was good, except but, for this right. thing. <laughs> oh. and, and But, you know, it's like sort of like you have to always allow yourself to listen. You know, like because yeah. it's like – and that's – and you're right. It's like, yes, the budgets may get bigger, but – you still need people to say no to you. Like, because yeah. you can have a big budget, but, you know, you don't have to, like, you can still have bad ideas, you know? Like, <laughs> and, and, like, and, and, like, I don't know. So, like, I think sometimes people, like, go, like, no, no, I'm at this level now, so I don't need any of the stop gaps that were there before. And, like, no, you always need those stop gaps. Right. And I yeah. did talk to another another guy that I know directed a movie. It was a, it was a big one. It okay. was, like, a giant, like, giant budget. And I was like, it must be crazy. You have all this money, like like literally hundreds of millions of dollars. And he's like, you know what? At the end of the day, once all the special effects are taken care of, once all the actor salaries are done, he's like, your budget is still the same as like a small movie. It's like, yes, you're shooting in the Caribbean True. or yes, you're right. like in like, uh, you know, in like Antarctica <laughs> for like a day. Right. But it, like the actual like budget is not like, yeah. it's not like, woohoo, burn it. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just think, I just think you got to always still listen to what people think. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds as if you you have been relatively flexible throughout your career. Because I'm thinking about the the example you gave of your director saying like you know uh, if if he would have removed that one part, the movie could have been yeah. great. But he. So I, I'm just curious to know for you whether it's um, pitching a show, whether it's like creating a show and working with people on it. How do you know when to relent? Because obviously you go into it with like your idea of what you want. Yeah. But, you know, you have to be open to feedback and what other people think. So how do you know when to accept feedback, when to push back? Is there an example of, of Yeah. That well, I think I'm very good accepting feedback from creative people. Mm-hmm. I think I'm very bad at accepting feedback from people who I don't have any respect for. Like, <laughs> and and and, uh, and that's and that's this business. And I'm trying to get better at it. But like when you like are talking to a person I remember when I was doing the show Party Over Here, which is a sketch comedy show for Fox, and mm-hmm. we were doing this fun thing, and they told us, 
you know, and I'll give you the general day. They're like, no sketch can be over in 90 seconds. Like, and it was like, wow, yeah. okay. And, and, you know, and you're putting yourself out there because when I put that show out, you know, I'm, I wasn't the head writer of that show, but I produced that show. And it's like, I'm saying that this is reflective of me. Right. And, you know, and so that's difficult. Like, cause it's like, well, you're making this arbitrary decision that you think sketch comedy is 90 at 90 seconds. And I remember literally having my assistant on that show pulled together some of like the classic sketches and timed them out and we submitted it and we're like these are these right. are the sketches that we people talk about that people know three minutes four minutes like you know it's like what, did some like seconds. algorithm tell them in the 90 seconds was like uh, it like, well, and, yeah and so, like, I, like i don't know and that's like and anyone to tell you that like i remember when it was a human giant and we did our sketch over there you know, the, we sat at this table of a bunch of people who've done reality television. They're doing The Hills and Reverend Run's House, and then they're going to give us sketch comedy notes. And they one time told us one of our sketches it was too unbelievable. I'm like, well, it's a sketch! It's a sketch! <laughs> Do you know what sketch comedy is? So you're, when you're in a position like that from a creative perspective, it's difficult. Right. Because these are people paying you. These are the people you have to be nice with. Mm-hmm. These are the people that you may enjoy working with them, but you don't respect their creative opinion. And right. that, it's not always that way. And I've had amazing experiences with people who, it, go, it goes up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so to your question, when it's from a creative standpoint, and we're all working together and going back to the idea of like criticism versus critique, like it's like, does that work? I don't think it works. There's something missing here. And, like, and, and what I'm a big believer in He's just getting it every which way. Like, you know, it's like, it's sort of like if you're on set and something isn't working, don't just go, well, we'll fix it later. Try to fix it then. Try to get a couple options because when you're in an edit room, you're watching something and you're like, oh, if I only had a different line read, if I only had a different alt joke, if it doesn't feel or look good in the moment, it's not good. It's never going to change. (laughs) And I think that that's people's like biggest thing is like well no maybe we're just being too critical you're not you there is something that's bugging you can you figure out that thing and i'm a big believer in asking for that advice trying to see like can you make it better i think where you have to kind of find this line is and i think it's really the it's really to the network i look at like you know donald glover is somebody i work with atlanta was a show that Mm -hmm. people didn't know what to make of it yeah and if he was to have let himself be compromised, it wouldn't be the show that we like. Yeah. So you got to find this line of being polite, being friendly, not being confrontational, but but steering the ship. You have to make, and I think maybe the middle ground of it is making amends, doing things, making efforts, not just outright saying no, and hopefully having them come to your side. You know, I think with... Uh, Atlanta, and I'm talking about other people's experiences, because, but it's like they brought in like Paul Sims, who was like an established, mm-hmm. you know, sitcom writer. And you, every article you read with Paul Sims, it's like I didn't do anything; it was great, and I just <laughs> sat there and told the network like it's great. Right. And sometimes you need that. So I would say, you know, in my experience, it's about um, being respectful. Mm-hmm. And not like the minute you get confrontational, everyone's like, what you don't, you're saying that I'm not funny because I give you, it's like, and that's where I used to be and I'm still trying to get better. And I, I, like last (laughs) December, I fucking had a meltdown on a phone call because I was like, this is dumb. What you're saying is dumb. (laughs) Like someone gave me a note and the note was, this script is missing like that magic. 
Oh no! And I go, how's that well, helpful? And I go, well, what do you mean by that? And you're like, you know, it's like, it's like, what's the like? The, it just needs like a little magic. I'm like, that's not an actionable <laughs> note. Like, tell me. And and I know that like it's hard because people are like it's not working for them and they don't have the tools right. to tell me what what's missing. But it's hard because I think the idea is like as a creative is like you're always trying to see the note underneath the note. Exactly. But. With the pro- proliferation of all these networks, mm-hmm. that means there's more executives, which means that there's less executives who have actually spent time developing, which means that you're getting an executive who, you, this may be their first show, and they've never really yep. have any background, and then you're giving you no clue about <laughs> magic, and you go, what the fuck are you telling me? Like, this is driving me crazy. And and that, to me, and 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 what I should have done is been like, okay, yeah, so I mean, you know, I think what we're, I'm trying to do it here, like, you have to, like, kind of suss it out, it's yeah. almost like you're dealing with, a like, a wounded dog who won't, like, eat, like, who won't eat, and you're like, gotta coax it over, and, <laughs> and, and your instinct is like, you, you moron, <laughs> like, what are you saying, and you have to always fight against that, and, you know, and with the 90 seconds, you know, I did, I tried to, I tried to be like, okay, that's great, hey, just by, by, by the way, here's some, you know, things, and here's some details, right. and, if you're someone that people like to work with, and that's the other thing, too, you never know who these people are going to be. The person who's giving you crappy notes one day can become the head network executive. <laughs> you know, so you have to, like, you do have, and by the way, it's it literally happened. Uh, like, so you have to kind of, like, walk this fine line of being yeah. polite, being nice, and staying the course to your vision. Like, at the end of the day, the only person that people are going to, like, hang are you. Because mm-hmm. it's sort of like, Yep. You made it. That network, no one knows who that network executive is. You can't say, well, but they made me say this and that. Yep. <laughs> um, so can you find that middle ground? Can yeah. you find the middle ground where you're okay with what's released? And, you know, you you brought up uh, how did this how did this get made, your podcast, and also uh, your, your other podcast, Unspooled. And yeah. what's interesting is that you you got into the podcasting space, like, way before it took off the way that it did. And now that we see that it's become this this huge media conglomerate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's getting into it. New York and Magazine writing a whole, like a whole magazine about podcasts. It is insane. And so, I mean, has that has that shift in popularity affected how you think about podcasts or how you do your podcast? Like, yeah. how, like how, because I mean, I feel like there's so much attention on it now. Absolutely not. I think I'm in rare air because I've been around for a while, but I did mm-hmm. launch a new one. And so, I'll tell you the thing that I love about podcasts. I, Love radio. I grew up like listening to Howard Stern. I got to do some stuff on K Rock for a bit oh, when nice. I was in New York, which is so much fun. And you know, radio is all about like this connection you make to the people. Like, you know, you're not seeing us right now. Yeah. You're listening to us, and people are tuning in every week because they like. Like you could interview anybody, and mm-hmm. people are tuning in to hear. You know, because exactly. at the end of the day, it's like I, I do believe that. Like that's why people come back. You know, for the most part, I do believe. That that's where your audience comes from. You know, you may get a listen to because you get a great guest and people are like, oh, I want to hear that. But some people are going to stay around because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I, um. so for us, how did this get made was a show where it was like, great, you like us. So we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. There's no reason to upset, like, like yes, it's more popular, but it doesn't change anything. The reason why people are listening, like, people don't know We've got nicer studios, which were paid for by this the network that got bigger and nicer equipment. Right. Um, but nothing that they, no one that anyone can tell the difference of, mm-hmm. you know? And then for Unspooled, which is this podcast where we talk about good movies, yeah. it was like launching the show. And it's like, oh, that, that launched about 
I guess a year ago now. And he's like, all right, how do I launch this? And, 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 and how do I approach this? How do I, you know, it was like, it was really kind of putting my whole body back into like promoting. And I think at the end of the day, the only thing that I took, I was like, it just has to be good. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have people tell each other and you have to engage your listeners. Cause that's for podcasting. It's all about the listeners. So I am very active about, you know, engaging our people on Facebook and engaging them on Twitter and mm-hmm. making them feel part of the conversation. And that, you know, that to me feels like then you're keeping the conversation going. You just can't put it up there and not cultivate it. It's like planting a seed in a garden, like, and you have to tend to it. Yeah. Um, and what we found at the end of the day was unspooled has a 60% different audience than had this get made. And I was like, really? I really like accomplished by that. I was like, wow, that's oh, wow. amazing. Like that's a, you know, a very different hmm. audience. And I think the only bummer with podcasts is there's such hubbub around the first episode. And I almost feel like you should do like five or six mm. and then be like, come check out our new podcast because yeah. there's two downsides to it. One, you're figuring it out in episode one. Yeah. You, like, you know, the best <laughs> ones are fine, but it's not perfect. And by f- and then also there's a back catalog so you can kind of go back. It's mm-hmm. like it's not like TV. Like just like get it out there. And then if an episode six, you'd be like, hey, check out my new podcast. And then they have six other episodes to go back and see. And <laughs> you know, here it's um, that's the ability of podcasts. But I think now podcasts are becoming so like, no, we need advertisers and we need this and we need that. And it's like. Well, and, yeah, yeah, there's a pressure. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, do you still feel as excited? Because I think it's interesting that you launched, you know, how did this get made, you know, right before the whole yeah. podcast boom, and then you have, uns- like, unspooled. So yeah. you have kind of have a foot in both sides of this, you know, flashpoint yeah. of podcasting. So do you still feel that same excitement or has kind of this all this attention and all this all this uh all these like executives like swooping in on this alleged cash yeah cow, has that ruined it for you at all no because they don't touch us and they don't yeah. approach us like you know the the benefit for us is we get advertising money which is great yeah but the fun of the show is amazing and you know everybody i talk to because i do podcasts people are like I have a way to make a lot of money in podcasts. And I always say to people, I'm like, (laughs) first of all, that's the wrong way of looking at it. Like, like, like you got to do this because you want to do a podcast. Like, and everyone can sniff out like the bullshit. Like, I do believe that like, no one's like listening to the podcast that is created because you want to make money from it. Of course not. (laughs) You know, and, and, and that, and they, but I feel like that's what people like, it's like the dot com boom. It's like yeah. it like there will be a ton of podcasts that go like there will be no like bursting of the bubble because bad podcasts never take off. So yes, mm. you can launch a million podcasts. There are a million podcasts out there, but it won't affect an industry because yeah. there's no industry to speak of. It's like I don't know. <laughs> I, I listen to my fifteen twenty podcasts. I listen to. I don't know anything about the state of podcasting besides that, and I'm in true. it. You know what I'm that saying? It's true. like yeah. you're in your own little hole. And the only way I find out about podcasts is because somebody goes, "Oh, this is a podcast." You should, Great, listen to it. It's not like I'm going to some going to the movie theater, and it's like you know, it's like. So I believe it's such a an isolated thing, and and you're right. There are going to be people who are. You know, gonna pitch you the worst ideas, like how you can. You know, people always tell me how to, imp- like, oh, maybe you do this and this. Like, no, we got it. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, it's I mean, a- you have a formula that works, and you have like a chemistry that works. So yeah. it's like, why mess with that? And you know, aside from podcast, you also 
I want to talk about your work in comics because I oh, think yeah. that that's I just I just think that that's so amazing and kind of random. Just, and cool. I was just over at Marvel <laughs> right before I came here. First of all, how did you get into it? Yeah, and then now with like it just recently released, like the your the yeah book Cosmic Ghost Rider destroys right. Marvel history. Yeah, so basically. Uh, my partner and I, Nick Giovanetti, we had written this script. It was like a big sci-fi comedy script. And my agents at the time were like, uh, you know, you'll never be able to sell this. It's too big. Very encouraging agents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, I was like, hey, you know, like, and maybe the script was bad. I don't know what they, like, you, know, like, you never say it. Like, it's too big. It's, no one right. will buy it. And so it just, like, sat on a shelf. And I had this meeting with this um, comic book publisher. This guy ran Boom. Uh, with independent label, and he was like, "Hey, if you have any like busted scripts, like bring them to us, and we can make it as a comic book." And I draw, talked to my friend, and I was like, "You know, maybe we can make it as a comic book. It's kind of great, you know." And we made it, and they started liking it so much that they gave us a series, and it became a trade paperback. And in the process of making this comic book, uh, Jerry Duggan, who writes Deadpool, famously wrote like the funny version of Deadpool mm-hmm. um, with Brian Posehn, was like, "This is really good. You guys should write um, a Deadpool." comic book and we're like oh my god from marvel well, this is insane wow. so we wrote this book for marvel people really like that and then marvel asked us back to like write another one-off and then said hey do you want to like do a series and series are really difficult it's 20 yeah. pages and you're storyboarding you're acting you're writing you're directing you're casting it's everything mm-hmm. that you do independently on anything else you're doing all at the same time because it's like about coloring it's this right. it's you know it's it's every every element and uh and we said, nah, it's too much. But then they approached us with this idea of like Cosmic Ghost Rider, which is uh, the character Ghost Rider mixed with uh, Frank Castle's The Punisher, mm-hmm. the weird character that Donnie Crate, uh, Cates created. And we're like, this could be fun. It's six issues. And they wanted us to celebrate Marvel history. So we sat back and we're like, all right, let's, let's do it. And we just jumped into, yeah, we just jumped into writing this book. And so when you approach comics, is there any major shift in thinking because obviously you know it's you, incredibly you, hard yeah, yeah i was gonna say so like how what are those considerations like how does it differ from like well yeah like what i was writing? like well what i was saying before like the idea that you are i think of it like in a very practical production point of view like when you're writing a script in for television or movies you're not thinking about budget you're not thinking about or i mean maybe if you have a show in production but for the most part you have your your like you can kind of write in a vacuum. Yeah. This, you can't write in a vacuum because what you are doing is you're almost doing a production meeting while you're writing the script and you're making, because you're making all these choices. It's like, and the dialogue. So it's like, all right, so I'm creating this story that I'm now, you know, communicating so much on the page, what it looks like, what it feels like, what these characters are saying, how it cuts from this to that. So you have to be so ahead of the game. You can't figure out anything later. You can't be like, all right, this is the story and then, when we get to editing, I'll figure out how that push, pushes yeah. together. No, it's like it's locked in amber from the minute <laughs> you kind of hand it in. And right. what Nick and I are very careful of is, you know, comic books are a very visual medium. And we're writing, you know, and that's a different medium. So we really try to get as many looks as we can with the dialogue on the page. And mm-hmm. when you see it, like, oh, you don't need this. It's like radio. It's like, you know, radio, like, he, you know, like, oh, what a lovely oak desk you yeah. have here. It's so <laughs> nice. And your your black blinds are amazing. Right. Like, you know, it's like, um, like, so here they get to see everything. So do you need to be that descriptive? Can you get away with things? How do you position jokes? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's uh, like a lot more like a math problem. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. 
And so with podcasts and comics and TV and film and all these things that you're doing, how would you say all of these projects have sort of broadened your creative mindset in a way? I think, you know, from a creative standpoint, it's this idea that you just should always be adapting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The traditional way of doing things seemingly is always going out the window, right? You know, why did we do a podcast when no one's doing a podcast? It sounded interesting. It was fun. I like podcasts. Like, but it wasn't like it wasn't done because I saw it wasn't because, oh, because everyone's making money on it. I yeah. love doing it. And everything I'm doing is as much as stressed as I can be. I love it. And I feel like if you can if you can do that, I've talked to so many friends who've been like, Well, I'm doing this show. It's a multicam show. I don't really want to do it. I hope it doesn't get picked up. I'm like, dude, you're saying a seven year contract like if this thing goes you're locked in you know people make these gambles all the time or like i want the i want the security of this it's like you are not only are you playing with your career but you're playing with the one thing that we enjoy like the passion that i have in my life besides my family Mm -hmm. is dictated by what i do like creatively it's like and the last thing i want to do is compromise my vision because a it's the money is really good or you know it's like well, I guess it's like that, or you know, there's some like illusion that I have more free time to do something else. It's like, no, 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 like everything should be done, and it may it may not pay well, but if you do something good, then good work begets good work. If you do something for a cash grab, no one's gonna be like, oh, yeah, that thing is immensely popular, but do you get any respect for it? Yeah. I don't think you do. Just do what you want to do, and every and all the good stuff follows, and yeah. and you know, and may, they may not watch it. It may go away. It may be something, but someone will see it and someone will give you the next job. Definitely. And, you know, looking, kind of looking at your career, has there ever been a moment where you hit a major creative roadblock? I feel like every day. <laughs> so, like, I, yeah, well, I mean, walk I, me through I, an example of it. Like, yeah. what was it and how did you get past it? Um, you know, talk about Galaxy Quest because Galaxy yeah. Quest is an interesting property uh it's ip obviously mm-hmm. based on this movie tim allen sigourney weaver sam rockwell classic great sci-fi comedy mm-hmm. movie i got brought in to see if i had a pitch on the film and you know when you're dealing with something that's a kind of beloved mm-hmm. you know and i imagine jj abrams walks into the star wars and stuff like this you you're in this world where not only are people looking to you to create the next version of it but everyone else has preconceived notions on how it should be done yeah so that was really tricky for me. Like, it was like doing what I wanted to do, appeasing what other people wanted to do. And at one point in the process, I was like, okay, I feel like this is right. Is, am I doing this the right way? And I, and I was in bed one night. And I was just I was like happy with the script and the outline. I was like, I felt really good about it. But I was like, huh could do this one thing if you did this one thing it's like it's like pulling a thread it, it, <laughs> it could unravel right everything and i really sat with it for like a week i was like do i want to do that that's extra work i've already done all this work and i've already put in all this time right. and and it was like dealing with people's expectations and i just said to myself i was like you know what screw it i'm gonna do it for me and i sat down and I pulled that string that was bothering me. It was mm-hmm. like, no one asked me to do this note. 
it just was from my own creative sense. It was a roadblock. I was like, I'm doing somebody else's version of the show, not my version of the show. Right. And I sat down and I made and I wrote the script the way I wanted to write it, and and then I kind of handed that in, and it was received well, and it was a relief, wow. and it was this moment of a who wants to do more work, you know, <laughs> like you know, and it was like getting off my ass and going like, I'm blowing this up to gamble on myself here mm-hmm. and and if it didn't work I would just ditch it I you know I wouldn't you know I wouldn't hand it in but I feel like the biggest obstacle that I always hit is the pen to paper it's like you know the or the finger to to key you know can you get can you just get over the hurdle of like I know it's going to suck you know can I get that crappy first draft out can I do this and sometimes you need people to help you like I took a screenwriting class um to write a movie because I was like, I need to like write a movie and I'm I'm gonna sit there and do it like in this class like they gave me assignments every week I need to hand in like 20 pages a week and with that assignment I actually did it so I think it's going back and maybe the through line of this whole interview has been like looking for help looking for people who will help you achieve it not being afraid to ask for help not being afraid to be like you know to ask for an honest critique or or have somebody you know. They don't have to drag you, you know, like, they don't have to drag you to it, but you do need encouragement. I think creativity is the loneliest thing, and there are maybe people out there like Christopher Nolan or, you know, Stanley Kubrick or that that loved having a vision that was all in their head, but Mm -hmm. I I don't work like that. And I think, you know, you need that help to kind of push you forward. Right, and that well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, if you could leave our listeners with one bit of creative advice, what would it be? I mean, I think, you know, don't judge yourself before you see it through, right? You know, it's like, and 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 I'll say it like this: as a as someone who does create a lot, I've had so many ideas stall out. And I'm not saying like chase every idea, but there's a great book by Elizabeth Gilbert. I forget the title of it, but it was the idea that like ideas come to us in the ether, and if you don't grab them, they go away. Maybe somebody else got you know, like this idea that like they're all floating above our right. head. And the hardest thing to do is to give yourself the confidence to move forward on an idea. And it's a little bit of a mixed thing. It's just sort of like be okay with complete. I guess maybe complete. Maybe mm-hmm. that's my, at the end of the day, it's like just complete the idea because yeah. once the idea is complete, then you can go and redraft it and you can kind of find, oh, you know what? Screw everything except for this five-page thing that's it and then that five page thing becomes the 30 page thing and then that 30 page thing becomes the series and it's like but you'll never get that five page thing if you don't write the if you don't just see the idea through brilliant brilliant well this has been amazing. Thank you, you so are, much. Uh, no, the, the most research interview I've ever oh, done. No. <laughs> so I, I appreciate it. I take my job quite very, very seriously. No, but this you is do. Fantastic. It's like you know, it's great to talk about all this sort of stuff. And I know it's like it's you know, for people listening, it's it's hard to kind of pull it all together, you know, but it's it's fun to talk about creative things and I think everyone can, I don't know, relate on some level. There's always gonna be a rope everyone's gonna be a roadblock oh, in every way. It's so crazy. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, my gosh, for this. It's so pleasure. That's ah. great. I hope you enjoyed this episode from the Creative Conversation Archives. Make sure you stay tuned for more updates on our upcoming podcast on the creator economy. See you soon.